Welcome to the first episode of the Killzone Podcast, now part of the Frontline Gaming Network. If you like this episode, you should come check out our podcast. We'll be posting episodes just like this one every week on our own podcast page, linked in the description. The Frontline Gaming Network presents the Killzone Podcast. The Killzone Podcast. With your hosts, Miranid 40K, Sheldon from Kill Team Stream, and Emmanuel from Strategic Advantage. Tournament news, tactics, and strategy. Tune in every week to hear real talk for competitive Kill Team. Get ready to enter the Kill Zone. Like the intro just said, you have entered the Kill Zone. Welcome back, returning listeners and those of you new to the podcast. This is Bearded 40K, and today's episode launches a brand new season of Real Talk for Competitive Kill Team. That's right, the Killzone podcast is back, and I'm joined by new hosts you can look forward to each episode. We have one half of Strategic Advantage on YouTube, we have Emmanuel Mitsunikos, and the big TO in charge of all major West Coast US Kill Team tournaments, and even some beyond, Sheldon Steer, which you may know as Kill Team Stream. How are you fellas doing tonight? Doing great, happy to be here. Woo! Yeah, feeling great, excited. Awesome. For those of you listening, we've got a great show coming up. We're covering prep for the Las Vegas Open, which, oh my God, the tournament is suddenly soon. We'll share some of what we're doing to get ready for the big weekend. And if you listen closely, you might hear some tips that you can do to help you prep for any tournament you might want to go to. And after that, we're covering the concept of playing by intent. And if when you hear that, you're saying, what the heck is he talking about? <laughs> Just wait until we pull back the curtain a bit on what's probably the most important aspects of tournament play that no one really talks about. You really don't want to miss it. So stay tuned, because the Killzone podcast is coming your way right after we pay some bills with these messages. Get ready for the most hyped Warhammer event of the year, the Las Vegas Open, brought to you by Frontline Gaming, where you can get all your gaming needs at a discount. Las Vegas Open is the most massive Warhammer event of the year, January 27th through 30th at the incredible Rio Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada. The Las Vegas Open features tons of different gaming events, vendors, classes, workshops, and more. Get it all at the Las Vegas Open. Okay, so we've paid some bills, we've got new hosts, and I figured, you know what, let's just get some introductions out of the way. Who the heck are you guys? Emmanuel, do you want to start? Yeah, sure. So, uh, I'm Emmanuel, and as you mentioned before, the one half of uh, Strategic Advantage, uh, the louder half, uh, <laughs> that's part and parcel with me being the orky one, but also I'm just, I'm just loud. I've uh, been playing with, uh, with Beer in it here for quite a while. Actually, I, I owe a lot of actually being introduced to the tournament scene from my first ever tournament in a kill team over at emerald knights um was one that you put together and then i was like oh yeah huh this game's a tournament game too isn't that right and then uh just kept playing and then took it at a uh, seo 2019 so that's kind of where i got my start in this whole weird whirlwind of uh kill team uh, and then my buddy alex and i um my main sparring partner there um, we, we decided to eventually start a channel and we have a ton of tutorial stuff. We, we kind of put ourselves out there as almost like the, the, the masterclass of, uh, of Kill Team where we just put out those highly curated tutorial stuff and Tactica videos, less more so about the uh, news side of things and more about teaching and training kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, 
that's a little bit about me. Uh, I'm obsessed with orcs. Um, anyone who doesn't know that is going to find that out real soon listening to this pod. But uh, yeah, I'm obsessed with orcs. Uh, so much so that I turn every kill team into orcs. And behind me on my painting table right now, I've created some Pathfinder abominations. I've shared one of those with uh, Birnid and Sheldon earlier today. Uh, it, it's a full roster. It's It's... It's a mistake, and it's beautiful, and I, I feel dirty every time I paint one of them, but oh, they're so beautiful. They look like little Iron Men, because I've chosen, uh, I think it's a Farside Enclave scheme that I've chosen for them, where you got the, uh, the red with uh, the black, but then I've also picked out a lot of the stuff in, uh, in yellowy kind of bronze, like a very bright kind of bronze. And after I finished my leader, the Shasui or whatever, whatever towy thing it is uh i looked at it it's like oh i am iron man <laughs> so yeah that's me i'm emmanuel hi yeah and i'm <laughs> sheldon i do uh tournament organizing you might know me from killteamstream.com yeah I, i'm into necrons and uh i uh have uh run pretty big events uh las vegas open socal open hopefully the soon coming kill team open um the uh you know, I've been doing this for probably about since since Kill Team 2018 first came out. Uh, I was uh, saw the ad for it and just jumped right in. And uh, yeah, I met these guys through running those at SoCal. I met both you guys, and uh, you know the rest is history, as they say, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, that's me, Sheldon. Well, yeah, we're very glad to have you guys. And for those of you that are new to the podcast, might not know who I am. My name's Chris. I'm, uh, I have a YouTube channel called Bearded 40K, and I started a couple weeks before kill team came out they released a teaser nobody in my area played shadow war nobody in my area played uh necromunda all that stuff so i was kind of determined to see kill team succeed started the youtube channel on you know tease day a few months before it came out like i said and just been kind of championing the the game ever since so i just try to provide value in every video as much as i can you know to to my ability to do so and uh you know help people get more from the game have more success all that fun stuff and uh so yeah tournament player like a bunch of different teams but what's in my heart is usually tyranids uh that's, that's been my longest longest standing love in the game so yeah well that's because you're infected with the uh, gene stealer virus though so that's that's <laughs> not fair it's in your heart but it's also in your dna it's in that third arm that keeps adjusting your mic <laughs> yes. And, and you know what's funny too is it's actually I say tyranids all the time, but that's that's hive mind to me. That's everything like that includes cults and, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I, I love all that. I think that was your on your earliest videos, I think that was your thing, like join the cult or something yes. like that. It was I, I'm trying to remember exactly how you said it. You said yeah, it. join the cult today by subscribing. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's you know, it, it's funny because uh if you look at the first videos, it was like, this is my guy, his name is this. I had no idea I was gonna be a competitive player. I just, you know, I'd go and my, my main practice partner at the time was a former uh, Magic the Gathering tourney grinder guy who used to just crush. Like he had no mercy. He was playing Admech, Tau, like all this kind of stuff. He went right away and found it was <laughs> gross last edition. And I'd get stomped and go home and fester about it for a while. And then eventually it occurred to me, wait a second, my parents worked in casinos as a kid, you know, when I was a kid. And uh, my dad used to design computer programs for probability and things like that with dice rolls. Like, so the pit boss could see, you know, out of how many rolls, what should come up. So they would know mm -hmm. if something was potentially illegal or not. Like, is this guy winning more than he should? Things of that nature. 
And uh, so I was like, you know, I know that there's six ways to roll a seven on two dice and five ways to roll a six and, you know, a single D6 is 16.6% probability. And so I just started applying that to kill team, you know, and, and like what the casino would call it, an advantage play kind of a thing. And it worked, you know, and pretty soon it was just sharing tactic on that stuff, what I found. And that's how you found that your practice partner was cheating? No, no. <laughs> that's how I beat my practice partner. And then you broke his legs, right? right? Yes. <laughs> And he was never to show his face at the uh, at the. Uh, That's why this guy's never been to any of these tournaments. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to circle back really quick. I was, I was starting to say um, uh, just before I forget that you know you were talking about your tau conversion earlier. Yes. Um, the neat thing about your conversions that you know maybe we got to find a way to get you know images up for people that are watching somehow. Mm. Um, they don't look like conversions. Like this looks <laughs> like a grot was supposed to be holding the rail rifle right like yeah, that's that's yeah. one of the they coolest things in, they they were like, you're of part patience. of the greater good now yeah the, the grotter good right the greater green oh, yeah, i go. haven't decided <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it takes a lot of patience and practice for that i started it's so weird how small kill team is and how big it is at the same time because my my orc conversions are the only reason that i ever got connected to Beernit. Um, I posted um, grot marines that I made for my uh, death watch. Um, I posted them online. Someone saw them. Um, ben from the Knights Cast, a podcast from I think a year and a half, two years ago was their last episode. But a really fun podcast when they were doing it. And he invited me eventually to that tournament. And that's how I got connected to Chris. So it all started from these silly uh grot conversions that i do and every single one that i've done has gotten a little bit more and more and more elaborate and this pathfinder one was the hardest one um i just did the heads initially and then i found out that way that tau have hooves i thought they were fish <laughs> but apparently they have hooves and yeah they're deer fit it's <laughs> tau but uh then i realized i had to chop their legs off and then that led me to learning how to chop off and use uh, green stuff and um, liquid green stuff and then using a combination of baking soda with uh, CA glue and all this to seamlessly bind legs and heads and arms together. And uh, it works out really well. My favorite out of them was probably the simplest one. And it's an orc that I, or sorry, a grot that I've made hanging from a recon drone with his hand stuffed into the top of it as if he's like <laughs> grabbing onto some some wires in there and just yanking it around and he's just like dangling just dangling like a little monkey um from this recon drone that i've put some orc kind of uh gubbins all over uh that's probably my favorite one and that was the easiest one to do my but, favorite uh, conversion yeah. of yours is uh the the orcs in a trash can played as great knights <laughs> <laughs> uh, Days me or Magork Knights, or was it Mork Knights? Not too sure. This edition probably Mork Knights with uh, with them being less killing, more tactical. But uh, Sheldon, uh, you do a lot of uh, conversion and hobby stuff too, right? Yeah. Although I wanted to say, I, I think my favorite of yours is the those Alpha Legion ones with like the melting orc into Space Marine. <laughs> that one's actually. I'm actively painting that one up now. That's that's for my kill team after dark because I'm going to use fluorescent paint oh, um, that's for awesome. the actual camo transition before between the uh, orc and the um, heretic Astartes kind of mini. 
I've only done one so far. The rest of the Chaos Marines are on my Christmas wish list, so fingers crossed Santa thinks I was a good boy this year and I get some more Chaos Sprues. If anybody out there is on your OnlyFans, they can send it as a... <laughs> uh, that joke fell deaf. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of After Dark and LVO, that's right around the corner, isn't it, guys? Oh, man. Yeah, that's one of the things we wanted to talk about today is, you know, like how much prep is too much prep? It, you know, is it too late to start, you know, with, with Kill Team right around, or uh, LVO right around the corner? stuff like that. So we're just going to, you know, maybe do a round table or something with some thoughts on prep, you know, maybe go back and forth on what's happened in the past, like maybe some stuff that could be coming in the future. Just tips that, you know, maybe somebody can take away might be kind of cool. So what do you think, Sheldon? Uh, you might have some thoughts on this as a big TO. <laughs> I always think the most important thing you can do when you're prepping for a tournament is to make 50 sets of terrain and give gift it to the TO right before the event. I was kidding. <laughs> No, I, uh, <laughs> yeah, bring that's, boards. Uh, Save the TO. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, that's just a joke because one of the big things when you're running the event is making sure you have all that stuff set together and ready to go. And uh, that's what I've been doing for the last few months is painting terrain. I've got like almost 50 sets now of uh, the championship terrain, which uh, <laughs> means if we got 100 players at LVO, we're still good. <laughs> and that's the goal, man. Bigger and better. Bigger and better. Yep. That's always the goal. We're always trying to move up, right? You know, get get uh, that eSports status. <laughs> yeah. That's that's my hope for it eventually as well. I'd love to see that. Like a circuit. You know that's what I mean? That's why I've been like, doing all the streaming. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what about you, man? What do you think? Uh, I, well, I just wanted to comment real quick on that terrain that if if people haven't seen the ITC circuit terrain that uh, Sheldon has um, been using for his uh, tournaments, um, most recently, the full set was used at um, SCO 2020, which was end of October this past year. It's some really great terrain. Um, there are some tweaks that you that some people do suggest. Is it too much heavy? Is it not enough light? Is it too dense, not dense enough, and all that kind of stuff. And I gotta say, I, I play almost exclusively on that terrain myself as a primarily melee player. And I, my main practice partner is uh, Alex, um, who primarily plays uh, Shooty Army uh, Admech. And both of us completely happy on that terrain. So I, I, I really like the amount of density, the mix of the terrain on that. And if, and if you haven't seen that stuff, honestly, take a look at the packet, look at the terrain layouts, and um, you can buy the train. You can probably hobby it up yourself, too, if you want to. Um, the dimensions yeah. are not hard to find. Um, everyone has tons of sprue lying around. <laughs> Put it to good use yeah, and the make dimensions, some containers out of it. Dimensions are on the packet now, so it makes it even easier. Oh, nice. And, uh, yeah. yeah, that was one of the, the suggestions Alex gave me, and I thought it was a great one. Um, but, yeah, the... Uh, the entire like European scene that was used to be doing the uh, Commanders International back in the old Kill Team, uh, in the old days, uh, <laughs> they uh, they actually 3D printed a bunch of like that terrain just uh, themselves, and it like worked out great for their their events. I think it's I I think it's great terrain. I also play on it pretty exclusively, but you know, <laughs> well, you I have, have like sets hundred of sets it. of it. <laughs> 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 yeah, but to get to back to uh, what you're asking, Birnid, um, about prep and approach and stuff like that, the reason why I wanted to comment on the terrain is that 
part of getting ready for a packet is knowing the terrain you're dealing with in this edition. It's it's such a great point. Like, w what do you think about that, Chris? I was just going to say that this is a great jumping off point, you know, and you guys might be able to speak to this further, but I think a big place to start when there's a major coming up, right? Like maybe not your shop comp, something like that. But the first thing that can decide a lot of things is do you know the terrain, right? So 100%. I think it's great that, that we started with this. Agreed. Because that was number one on my thing. Because it's going to, it could influence your list. Oh, and, and that's exactly what, that's exactly it. Because, and even small stuff, like what equipment you're going to be used to. And I say this because my, my main, this edition, I was, I was blessed by Gork and Mork um, with getting a very <laughs> good Orc team at the beginning of this edition. So needless to say, like Commandos is my baby. Um, and I've been playing And they're them. still good too. Oh, they're so good. Um they have a they have a lot of tools um and one tool that really shines that you don't see a lot of people talking about that i load on almost every single one of my models is the climbing rope and that has to do with the terrain that's going to be at lvo um if you're playing with chalnath if you're playing with the octaria set if you're playing with um, some poor hammer stuff that you have at home, might not be as relevant. You might be more inclined to spend a couple equipment points on chopper, uh, chopper on the breacher boy or something like that. You might be throwing dynamite on someone, but when scoring victory points is how you win games and getting to places lets you score victory points, getting that mobility on a map that really rewards that that climbing rope giving you that versatility really shows that um, the terrain really influences my list. Yeah, I got a chance to play against uh, your climbing ropes there at, at SoCal on the narrative day. I was subbing <laughs> in because there was an odd number of players, and uh, yeah, we played on stream. That was uh, that was an interesting experience going up against those commandos with the zippy gut, zippy uh, climbing ropes going all darting all over. <laughs> Yeah, it's all of a sudden you think that they're restricted by the terrain, but then they're not. So if you're not playing on that terrain or aware of that, you're not going to go in with a plan and with practice of knowing how versatile you can be with something like climbing ropes. Um, how, how does that change, like the terrain change your perspective? Or if you had anything else you wanted to say about the, the terrain, Chris? I was just going to say that, you know, I... I agree wholeheartedly because uh, like I had an experience recently uh, Udsickle who you know is uh, an old friend of the podcast um, and you know he has done some TOing recently on TTS and I went into one of the comps kind of blind and um, this board um, that you know the type that was being used was a little bit more dense than usual and um, or than what I had played on so far and what I immediately saw was that, you know, with me, it's kind of like a choice of gene stealers or the eight, eight model gaunt swarm for some of what I'm mm -hmm. doing. And I feel like I don't get as much from the stealers when there's a lot of uh, cover on the board, whereas suddenly the gaunts are maybe a little bit better. You can pop lurk, you're making two auto saves, uh, auto retain saves or whatever in cover now against shooting, just little things like that. So it's like going in without the prep, I saw right away like, oh, something of mine was buffed and something of mine one of the abilities that they have is suddenly less good in this format um just based on the terrain right mm -hmm. um so that's just something that you know like i said i think i think this is a great place to start uh with that is you know do you know the terrain and, and a lot of times you do right 
Like mm -hmm. I think SoCal Open the first year we had it three months in advance. Um, our our group, which is you know you were t you were mentioning mm -hmm. some of those tournaments that we had, that is what those tournaments were was uh, SoCal prep, and mm -hmm. uh, we had the exact terrain in some cases for what was going on, especially with the arena uh, stuff that was going on. Mm -hmm. It was going to be arena. We were able to prep it, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think when uh, you know when I try to do an event like SoCal Open, Las Vegas Open, I'm always really cognizant of trying to make sure that that information is like ahead of time given to everybody because i think preparation is like key to success at one of these kind of events you know you gotta really like have everything dialed in i know that some people like to kind of go in blind and, and have a little bit of just like chaos but i think the really good players always do a little bit more in terms of like the uh preparation and so yeah with stuff like socal las vegas open that's why i put that tournament packet together because you know, it's not just for my events, but if another TO is, you know, saying that they're going to be using that terrain, I know for a fact, you know, if I'm going to be going to, to, you know, to play at that event that, oh, they're going to be using this terrain, these layouts, you know, it just makes it easier for everybody. Mm -hmm. And like, and as a final kind of, kind of bookend remark on the train, because there's so much more to prep than talking about terrain. So I don't want us to spend too much <laughs> time true. on that. But a final bookend to having those terrain layouts is that I encourage anyone, even if you're not considering SEO or KTO or any of the events that uses uh, Sheldon's packet in the terrain layouts, take a look at that stuff and use that as an example to help you learn how to build good boards. Because a good terrain layout that's fair for both sides is going to make for more balanced, more competitive, but also more fun game. In previous in the previous edition and at the early start of this edition, before I understood the rules completely, um, Alex and I had set up some really bad terrain layouts, <laughs> like really bad terrain layouts. That was one of us had no fun, and the other one by proxy of that had no fun because it was just it was easy. The, the terrain decided who was going to win in a large part, you know? So um, use the packet as an example um, for how you should be setting up stuff, or at least as inspiration for. But um, now to to sideline Sheldon for a little bit, um, Birnit, I'm really curious, like, what's your kind of routine? Like, how do you prep um, for a tournament? Like, what what's your, what's your one to two to three? Um... So, I mean, like we talked about the terrain already. One last thing on that really quickly was just that I, I would like to say the last edition, I really tried to find out what players that won consecutive majors were doing. And both like Michael Holy, Elliot Miller, one of the first things they talked about was terrain. So again, know your terrain. But like going beyond that, if I was going to say some of my other stuff, um, I think it's so important to just play games like doing the coaching stuff i've had so many people just poo poo rolling dice like oh it's no no i i can figure it out in the uh in the list building phase and things like that there's more efficient ways to do it you just do it on paper it's like nobody that's won a major has done it that way you know even mm -hmm. if it's sad hammer yeah holy's rolling dice right like we, we know that that's what was going on we know that you know um uh, Emmanuel, you and uh, Alex have, you know, consistently placed not only top eight, not only top four, but like first and second for the past several little comps that you've gone to, or the, the majors, I should say, not little at all. Um, and I know that you guys are playing against each other all the time. Um, you know, when I'm able to get out to Long Beach, Udsikl and I, we're tossing dice. And a lot of times what's interesting there, we might not even play a full game. 
it's useful to do that because sometimes you need to practice those like five and six point swings, I think, that sometimes only present themselves at the end. But there's a value to set up first turn re-rack, set up first turn re-rack. This is what you did wrong, you know? So I don't know how to like toss this in there, but it's like, have a good practice partner, play games, you know, even if it is by yourself, if you have to be your own practice partner, play games. I was just about to say like Michael T. Holy, I remember one of the things he would do all the time was just play himself, you know, even if you don't have somebody else to play, just set up the table, you know, do a few games by yourself, uh, you know, play it. I, I, I'm terrible at doing that. Like I, I've never been able to pull that off. Um, it's just always like there's something, but you know, it helps people. There are some people, you know, I know glass half dead does it, you know, a lot of people uh, will play just solo games, um, you know, figuring out both sides. It helps you figure out an opposite team, lets you figure out, you know, uh, just your starting few positions. Like nobody's going to care if you reset the board 12 times in a row if you're playing yourself, you know? <laughs> um, so the sad hammer thing is actually so one thing you said right at the beginning, Chris, that I just want to tie back to is that the coaching that you're doing in. I don't like Sad Hammer. That's a personal thing. <laughs> I also have to asterisk subtext that and say I am very fortunate with a very active local scene. I mean, aside from Alex, I have a lot of people that I play with regularly at my LGS, right? So it's I'm fortunate in that respect. But um, you, Chris, you said two things there. You, you were talking about coaching, and I'm going to tie it to that and also have a regular play partner. Um, especially early on in this edition, I found that the best thing that's been helping me prep for tournaments is actually teaching the game. Um, I, I find that it's helped me learn the rules a lot more in depth and see a lot of other angles. It's also helped me learn other factions as if I'm playing them. Because when it, when it comes down to it, uh, teaching's hard. It's really hard in the middle of a game. I mean, you you guys know this. I I, I watched I watched uh, Sheldon stream <laughs> teach a game. I tried, and that was exhausting <laughs> to watch. And Chris, oh, you do I'm, coaching I'm sorry, everybody so, who so watched much. that. <laughs> and, and Chris, you know this because you teach probably as much as I do, probably more, honestly, with with your coaching. And uh, it, it's exhausting as the teacher to do because you're kind of sad hammering because <laughs> when I teach the way I teach is like, there's like this whole like preamble before we even start playing a game. And then as we're playing a game, anytime I see someone making a move um, that, that I think they could do more optimally or better, I will pause the game and then tell them all the different things they can do. And then how I would respond to all those different games. So then I've just played out five different scenarios in my head um, with how to how to play that game as if I was sad hammering. And then at the end of this, you end up training up someone to play with you that can then be a very good, solid training partner for you. So I kind of have a dumb name for this and I call it Gladhammer. Because <laughs> at the end of all of that work, I'm really glad that I did it yeah. because now someone's better at the game. Yeah. Now I'm 10 times. 
I know some of these factions so well now, and I've never once played them myself. I know everything about Vetguard, <laughs> and I've never built a single model. And that's because I've taught someone five, six games in a row how to be good with Vetguard and how to be- beat Commandos. And now I know what a Vetguard player needs to do against me, and I could be prepared for that. So not only did I help someone else, but I'm glad that I did. Yeah, that's great. But um, I was just thinking, like, the uh, <laughs> when it comes to that sort of stuff, uh, you know, I always remember I had a few friends, and my uh, stepmom's a teacher, you know, the there's like three different kinds of learning they say visual kinesthetic and uh uh touch i think it was or uh visual kinesthetic and and, auditory yeah auditory that was it um but i think that there's like a fourth kind and that's teaching somebody you know having that um access like it it just like accesses a different part of your brain you know like you're like it's it's not the same as if you're like just playing something it's like you have to actively explain why something's working you know it's not just like oh this is a you know two it's like well this is a two because this happened and then this happened and i i i have to admit i was like kind of still learning myself and you know having to teach someone else i was like looking stuff up and going oh yeah that's why this is like that oh okay that makes way more sense what uh what about you uh chris (laughs) yeah you know i was just gonna say that it's funny because uh you're coaching students they get to a certain level where they call you out right like like they'll, they'll be like actually are you sure we can do this and you're like wait hold on you know and you start looking it's like ah the student has taught the master you know like oh, they're yeah. just uh, you know <laughs> it's joking I'm, I'm definitely not a master but they're you know they, they get really really good at that kind of stuff oh yeah i've been count i've been called out countless times too you're 100 right Oh, I, I get it on stream too <laughs> like like uh i think that he's playing this tactic a bit better than it is um but yeah, you know, going back to the uh, the sad hammer thing, I think that this is something that even like there's levels, right? Because it's like you have players that won't go past paper until roll time and then get steamrolled because they don't know how to move models and position them and things like that. Next level up is sad hammer. Um, but if sad hammer was the be all end all, you know, I would have stuck to that, and I saw a need after LBO, uh, the first year that this happened for Kill Team. Um, before uh, BAO, I was like, we need to actually be prepping with human beings. You know, like like there could be a SoCal scene kind of where we are training against each other, and it was kind of like this roster of players that you know was kind of like the vision of like, yes, we can get these guys and hone them and train them, and you know, we'll have this SoCal community of just just you know um what do they call that uh there was there was that music the wrecking crew (laughs) we'll have a wrecking crew of socal and it did kind of come up you know so i would say like and i would like to do a whole episode on this sometime or at least a segment on an episode about starting something in your community if it doesn't exist it's like hey sad hammer will get you through you're going to come to lbo and you're going to learn a lot or you know kto or sco or wherever it is that you go you know maybe you're in spain you go to one of these granada comps or something but you're mm-hmm. going to go and you're going to think you have an understanding of the game. You're going to get worked and you're going to come back and be like, okay, there is a dichotomy to not knowing exactly what's coming next. You know, mm-hmm. and that's that's the beauty of this game. I almost feel like it's your job to present a challenge to the opponent um, in a way and just like try to self-improve in that regard of providing, you know, more and more of a, a challenge there. But it's just like 
you are going to get caught flat-footed by different things. You're, you could have a team um, that you don't know really what to expect. Like the first time I saw Gaunt Spam, I wasn't running it. It was used against me last edition. And when I saw <laughs> what it could do, not only did it start the wheels turning in me, but I saw a way to improve on what opponent was doing and make it even better, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, you can take little bits from what they're doing, little bits of strategy and, and work it into your own kind of a thing, yeah. which I think is really kind of cool. Yeah. In, in Sad Hammer, you're limited to your own creativity. Yeah, and that and that's that's you, you nailed it right there, um, and that's that's my biggest sticking point with Sad Hammer because what it boils down to is what weird challenges you can think up on your own, which is limited inherently, and then just calculating statistical best options, which are not always going to be the best options. Um, I'm really good at, at creating terrible problems for myself, though, so. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I think is really weird is that I think like Sadhammer starts to become more useful at higher levels of play because what you're doing now when you do Sadhammer, I think you shouldn't start out with Sadhammer. I think that that's like for later on because now you're going against someone, yourself, that knows exactly what's going on. And that informational advantage is not something that a player will have, right? Um, on the other side, sometimes they, they get that way that's eventually. Fair. They'll know what secondaries you have and yeah. stuff like that. But also, one of the things that I found useful for it too, that I would just say, you know, as a final kind of pro versus the cons or whatever that, that would say, you know, still give this a shot, even though it's not the be all end all, is that like one of the things that I found useful this edition is running Sad Hammer games exclusively Tyranid v Tyranid. And what's cool about that is it suddenly made every game that I'm doing basically two games with my faction. And I can test different lists, you know what I mean, to. See That's how smart. things yeah. perform on a board. Uh, what's doing the wind condition better? You know, tweak something out here. Like, is this superior here? Like or what? What am I scared of in this yeah. situation? <laughs> you know, just trying to boil down to a better roster if I can and stuff like that. Like, is this model really going to flex in in this situation? It's cool because Tyranids can go really melee or sort of shooty, so I can try mm -hmm. different things or very elite, you know, or numbery. Mm -hmm. So it's a good. Uh, I think I have a better Sad Hammer faction than some others do. Perhaps um, there's not much list tailoring for commandos. That's for certain. <laughs> I, you know, it's it's something that maybe I might get more from it than some Are others. Bring the bomb squig, or yeah, yeah. Or, right. Only the only squig. to uh, spec ops games for the lols. I think everybody go. should be running that bomb squig. Come on. No, you can't make me. Don't let me explode, princess. She's precious. <laughs> um. Well. I think one kind of uh, closing topic that would be really fun to talk about would be kind of tabletop etiquette at tournaments. Um, just kind of the whole concept of playing with intent, declaring intent, all that kind of stuff. Um, what, what thoughts do you have about that kind of stuff? The kind of leading into this LVO, if someone's coming to this tournament, say for the first time. Um, I know my first tournament, I was actually pretty nervous. Um, I didn't know what the kind of etiquette would be at the table, how people would, the demeanor between players would be, that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, I was actually pretty nervous about what my experience would be like. Yeah, I think that um, when it comes to like this sort of thing, there's sort of this stigma that like you don't want to like divulge your plan to the enemy. But I, I honestly <laughs> think that, you know, playing like completely out in the open, you know, it it's 
not only does it kind of build a relationship with the person across the table from you, but it also kind of like, you know, lends you the opportunity for them to tell you what they're doing. You know, like you're opening that line of com- the communication between you and your opponent. And, uh, you know, so I think when you're at like a table, you know, telling them, oh, this this is uh, this is what I'm planning on doing. You know, this this model's going to move over here because I'm trying to do this, you know, stuff like that. Not only does it help you later in the game, if like something is questionable, like there's a questionable distance and it's like, well, he obviously wanted to do that. That's why he said he was wanting to do that. You know, it kind of gives you more leeway with your opponent that way. But also it's like, uh, you know, just a thing that can uh, help you have a better time when you're playing the game. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I think that, you know, you're correct there because I think that there's a hesitancy for people to try and divulge their plan, but I think that there results in more negativity than positivity um, taking that approach. Uh, the, the negatives being things like something being completely obvious that you didn't state that now you're not going to get to do because you didn't say. Um, I try to be very clear when I remember to, you know, your mind's going a million miles a minute. You're thinking, oh, 33, you know, percent odds and this and that. Your, your mind's going a lot. So it's hard to, you know, be perfect about this kind of a thing, but you really want to be like, okay, I'm moving this guy here. He can see this full objective confirm, right? Like there's no way you're going to move a guy onto this point without at least being in my line of sight, you know, for overwatch or something. And I think that that's very important because like once you've got it in, there's no like go backsies, right? I think that ITC even does yellow cards for go backsies. And I think it's just like, at the higher levels, when you get to that top table, your top eight, second day cut or something like that, they know what you're gonna do. They know what you're trying to do and things like that anyway. So just say it, say what you're trying Mm -hmm. to do and eliminate the arguments because playing in a tournament, you're on a clock and you can't waste time on arguments. You have to score those points, right? So get it done, know what's going on, you know, explain to your opponent what you're doing, you know, it just leads to better games and, um, you know, more fun overall. What do you think, Emmanuel? Yeah, I, I 100% agree with both of you. Um, and, you know, th- there's a fine line that you can walk if you do choose to be cagey about things. Because a lot of, a lot of these declaration of intent just have to do with positioning as well as with distance, right? So, I mean, an experienced player knows that if you're saying, oh, I'm three inches from the, I'm sorry, I'm square from the center (laughs) of the board. Uh, Do you agree? I see you're a fan of the metric system. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. Do you agree? Or like, can any of your guys see this model right here? Um, Getting that call back and ask for a response or something that I like to do a lot um, is measuring what my opponents can do Um, that's not (laughs) that's not like manhandling your opponent's models or anything like that but if I want to know that I can't be charged it's well within reason of measuring on the other side of the board and saying okay well everyone's outside of charge distance from this model do you agree and and stuff like that. It's largely positioning and distance because there's there's two things to it. Number one, if you're wrong, 
They can say, actually, no, and then you get an opportunity to correct yourself before you've locked in your move. Number two, tables get bumped. Things get repositioned and moved. And if you declared that you were within charge distance at the end of turning point one, and then turning point two starts, and then your opponent says, well, let me measure it because it actually doesn't look like it now. It's like, well, I mean, we agreed at the end of turning point one, and that it's the sportsman thing is for your opponent to go along with it if they did. And, and like and like you said, uh, Chris, you said um, it's even a yellow card in ITC if you go back on something that you already confirmed was true. Yeah. No, I was just going to add that um, I had a sign blowover on my game at uh, one of the SoCal <laughs> Opens. Um, so, yes, things get bumped, things get moved, and it's really good to have things locked out because it's like, you know, you might do it with a die. You're rolling a die and it bounces mm -hmm. out and just nicks your guy and all of a sudden he's 0.1 inch out or something like that. If you've confirmed, mm -hmm. that is no longer a problem. You, you're like, remember, he's he's here, right? And also, I was going to touch on what you said about measuring um, other people's models and stuff. You know, it's in the rules. You may measure at any time. There's some games like X-Wing where you're not allowed. Mm -hmm. We are allowed here. And I think that it's important to provide the verification to your opponent. Um, you know, because like... For example, the the situation that you mentioned was um, the you know an unchargeable, right? So what you're mm -hmm. gonna do is you're gonna open your tape measure, you're gonna set it down, and show where eight inches is. I think mm -hmm. this is like the thing, like like I said, you're kind of working to minimize arguments and stuff. So you just set it down, and you can say, um, so you can see he's outside of eight. Yes. So I'm just confirming I can't get charged right now if I'm on this point, and there's no real argument with that you know and i think that you know True, some players man. yeah some players like uh you know alex uh your your good friend our good friend um is really good about that when i played him and you know you probably picked up some of that right emmanuel yourself uh, <laughs> being such a like, common partner with him we're the same person like even his parents say that we picked up <laughs> each other's mannerisms it's it's we're we're the same I, i'm the mork to his omnisaya but um the <laughs> The, the other thing about measuring all of this stuff and doing it is you're thinking about all of this stuff. You're measuring at that point. Guess what the consequence is? The game goes faster too. Because when it's your opponent's turn, they suddenly have already agreed, yep, none of these guys can charge it. So I'm not even gonna think about that tactic. I'm not gonna think about that. I'm gonna do something different. And I've also found that even if someone wasn't inclined to play in that manner with me, by having that very upfront sportsman-like manner with someone, the game's more fun, everyone's smiling. And number two, my opponent oftentimes will reciprocate that and will start to pick up those same kind of habits and play with declaration of intent. And it's so important that the, you kind of follow the stepwise kind of way of doing it. For obvious stuff, for stuff that doesn't matter, it, you don't need to say, it's like, I'm moving him three inches. Do you agree that this is three inches from where he started? That's a bit much. Yeah. <laughs> but whenever it's critical and there's interactions that are critical based on movement, positioning, and cover lines in this edition, it's always great to call that out. There's this straight line laser pointer that's actually developed for um, X-Wing, I believe. It's called Target Lock by Army Painter. And oh, I use that. Yeah, I, I use for that sure. religiously. I, I picked it up for Arena in last edition, and it is so much more useful now. When I move someone somewhere, I will use that to kind of figure out the 
only like the furthest that they will have to move to be able to establish a cover line that can seal me see me around what I'm getting cover from and I will verify that callback with my opponent too. That not only confirms that I'm safe from getting shot unless they can get this far, but they also know that, oh yeah, I'm not even gonna worry about that model. I can't shoot them unless I can get that far and I physically cannot. <laughs> yeah, I think like when it comes to uh, this also, like we, we have to remember this isn't the same game that we were playing in last edition. And uh, that intent you know, it used to be pretty easy. You know, you'd finish your movement phase and you're going to all my guys are here now, right? These, This is where they're locked for the, you know, next hour or whatever. Whereas now, you know, one guy can change any of those movements within like a second. So, like, I think intent's more important this edition than it was last edition. Because, you know, last edition, everything was sort of solid, set in stone after the movement phase. But now it's like still kind of fluid throughout the whole turning point. You know, you've got... Uh, you know guys jumping up over uh, over things and then jumping back and like you got stuff like you know mid-turn somebody's gonna pop out from behind a barrel you know it's like you got all sorts of crazy stuff going on uh what do you think chris (laughs) yeah it's just such a lethal addition and there's so much like you said going on with the alternating activations and different shenanigans of movements and okay before the turn starts there's this that's gonna happen You know, I would just like to say, you know, on the subject of intent, that I think it starts, like, for me, a lot of times it starts when I first meet somebody um, that I know I haven't played before. Like, I don't usually introduce myself as Baronid in case they watch. I don't want them to feel, like, any pressure or anything (laughs) like that. Say, hey, I'm Chris. Nice to meet you. Um, You know, one of the things that, if you're okay with, I kind of prefer to hopefully play to time and um, play by intent. So if you tell me something is going to be how it is, we'll just call it that way, you know, and, and we'll go go from there. Yeah. Because it's now on me. If, if the opponent says, you can't charge this guy, it, and I agree, I can't come back later and be like, oh, he's actually only seven. You know, that's unsportsmanlike. So mm-hmm. I just like to lay that out ahead of time, like how it's kind of like a framework for good experience on both sides, if possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a game, right? You know, we're, we're there to have fun. Yeah, I know every, you know everybody wants to win, but, you know, it's you, you want to have a good time while you do it, right? You know, you want everybody to be having a good time. I think that that's, uh, you know, the environment you kind of want to, you know, engender in your games, you know? And I think that playing with intent is like the first step to being a good sportsman, you know? You got that person across the board. You, maybe they'll be a new friend, you know? Maybe you're going to be, you find out, Oh, they're in your area. They're going to be your new practice partner. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. you never know when you might find a new friend. That's how I met the Fly-By-Nights guys that you mentioned earlier that actually mm-hmm. put us together. Um, mm-hmm. Was so SoCal <laughs> Open the last last round was uh, Ben and I, his orcs versus my nids, and uh, that's, nice. And then they were like, they didn't like I said I didn't introduce myself as Beerenid or anything, and then uh, it was just kind of talking about where we were located and stuff, and it was like, whoa, we're right by each other. You know, that's the beauty of mm-hmm. majors. <laughs> get these people together that you just had no idea were your neighbors basically Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i've heard so many of those stories that oops sorry go ahead no you go ahead oh i was just saying i've heard so many stories like that from events you know oh we we met each other or now we're good practice partners you know we didn't even know (laughs) somebody joined the fly by nights discord you know (laughs) (laughs) i mean just like the the world of kill team is so big and small just calling back that again i mean Sheldon, how how small is Kill Team the fact that some random guy that walks into my LGS uh, before SEO 2019 
Luke happened to be the guy that got you into Kill Team. Um, and the <laughs> only reason that you got into Kill Team and then subsequently started running all the big tournaments for us was this random dude who then happened to walk into the LGS that I play well, at saying, hey, you guys going to SEO? So am I. And then boom. <laughs> I don't know if he's a random dude. He was like the manager of the game castle. <laughs> That's well, how he's a random him. dude to me, man. I was just playing some orcs versus admic and some dude walks in with Tao. We all grimaced a little bit, but then we were accepting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his Tao are so cool looking too, I think. Yeah, I, I, think. I appreciate the aesthetic that he typically goes for. Um, it's like this minimalist, um, very high um, looking for, not contrast. Yeah, I guess contrast. Like his his Harlequins are very minimalist, but with like a faded blue from the bottom of the cloak, like a cyan blue. Um, his Tau are very Tron-like with hot pink on a, ba- a black background. <laughs> it's it, it pops. I really appreciate it. But then again, this isn't hobby hobby and hang. <laughs> that looks cool. yeah. yeah, that was my very first time introduced to Kill Team. Showed up to that game castle because they were running a campaign. Luke was running it, and uh, you know learned all about the game through all those games and. That was how I started Kill Team. <laughs> was, real question was going to the, the... What were you saying? I was real just question? saying the real question is, did you get a medal? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, <laughs> unfortunately. Okay. I, I, uh, I uh, lost most of my campaign games. Yeah, I didn't get <laughs> one in my, my campaign either. I Yeah, it was like later on, later on, I started getting those damn medals. It's like, finally! <laughs> Jeez, you know how much time I put in to get this thing? Uh, I had to buy all my medals on eBay <laughs> and balloons. So um, does anybody have anything else to say on playing by intent really quickly? I was hoping before we move on, we might just really quickly touch on what teams might be at LBO and stuff like maybe gatekeepers or something. Oh, yeah. But, but anybody else yeah, have anything I, on uh, playing by intent? No, no I think I th- that's, I think that's that was pretty, pretty well. good. Okay. Mm-hmm. I do think that. On to your next point, I think there's definitely going to be some commandos there. I have a hunch. <laughs> At least one. At least one. <laughs> Pretty good commando, too, that's uh, placed, you know, fairly highly recently. At, uh, orcs, 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 orcs. What do you guys think? Uh, uh, there's some Tau? towers, some Tyranids, I'm guessing. Tau. <laughs> Tau's probably going to be there, I would say. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think about the new Thousand Suns? I think they could do it. Oh, I love them. I want to I wanna make more, uh, more sorcerers. I think that's... As soon as I get two more sorcerers, I'm gonna be running those guys. <laughs> if you like D and D, you will, you will like that team probably. That's kind of like <laughs> that's the team for you if you came from that background, uh-huh. maybe. Um, so off air, remind me to tell you guys about my nefarious plans for a warp coven um, or an orc coven team. Orc coven. That's only fans. Call back to Sheldon's earlier <laughs> crash and burn jokes, um, but. Um, the thing about Warp Coven is that I feel they have a pretty high floor, but also a pretty high ceiling. So um, I, I I really hope to see them there piloted by someone who's put in the time and effort to really bend their mind around all the different buffs and positioning to make sure, not that positioning always matters. I mean, let's talk about the Tempiric Sorcerer. No, let's not talk about the Tempiric Sorcerer. But, uh, <laughs> but it's- I do know Ryan is- Bring in some warp coven from oh, the great, east coast. Great. He's helping yeah. me Ryan, with Ryan's T- very talented. With KTO. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm excited to see see warp coven there. Um, obvious, we're gonna see Pathies there. Um, 
I, I don't I, know. I, I think so. Uh, I, I, I mean, I have to admit, I don't know about this edition. It's still new, but last edition, whenever something would become like the meta, everyone would like stop playing it. It was like, it was like, oh, Tyranids are the best team, and then you wouldn't see them at the next event. Oh, Tau just won an event, and then the next event would be like, nobody brought Tau. It's like I feel like people don't want to be known as the guy bringing the 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 heavy hitter, scary Say team. Say that to all the Tyranids that had a ton of custodies towards the top to be fair yeah (laughs) the custodies but that was like the brand new it had just started you know people were just playing what they had had. oh sorry i was gonna say i think a big part of that was um the feeling that you suddenly had a target on your back right like if you go and do well Mm -hmm. at a tournament it's like is everybody now you know building tech into the roster specifically to beat my team you know, mm. like uh, that's a scary thing. You know, when suddenly your thing is all over glass half deads meta breakdown or something like that. Talking oh, about it needs a nerf, <laughs> and it's so good, and it's like, oh my god! You know, I can't play I my Tyranid specifically beat Tyranid. Yes. <laughs> no, and, and Tyranid I, I don't know about nerf. you guys. Like, ah. Yeah, and I don't know about you guys, but um, at least for me, like. If I were to, I, I actually had to come to terms with the idea that commandos were really good this edition um, because I didn't want to be seen as that guy, you know, and, and there's always that worry if you show up with a team that's shown to be high ranking that it you might be that guy um, or might be seen as that guy when you might just enjoy the fish horse people. Um, <laughs> I mean, but 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 that's but that's a reality of it, right? And um, I, I I don't think anyone should worry about that. If you like Pathies, if you're motivated to play Tau because you finally can play Tau the way that you wanted to play them, because their Compendium team was a little bit a little bit behind where they were power wise at the end of last edition. So I can understand, I can understand, I just made up a new word there. I can understand (laughs) that, um, the, uh, the eagerness to play with your, with uh, this nice, fun, powerful team. And I I think that's fine. I wouldn't worry about being that guy. Yeah. And I think it's, it's neat too, because like, like uh, pathfinders right now get a, have a big, uh, you know, crosshair on them. It's like you look mm. at uh, like Ootsicle, for example, it was a Tau main and for like two years of the edition would not play because it was not how he wanted to play the team. Like what was viable at the time and winning tournaments and stuff was drone spam. And he was like, no, I like fire warriors and stuff. So maybe this is the first time you've gotten to play the team as mm-hmm. Tau or something, right? In, mm-hmm. in a kill team iteration, which is, you know, kind of cool for the first time. But yeah, you know, there's a lot of that. People don't want to be that guy. I would say don't worry about that. And also another big thing, this comes up in coaching all the time, is somebody does not want to play something that is overrepresented. For example, somebody will have prepped and won tournaments with this specific thing, you know, and they're local. And then they're saying, hey, I want to go to this major, but I don't want to be the fifth guy running this team or whatever and it's like dude there's only so many teams and if there's a 60 man event or something like that there's gonna be some of each you know and i guess the final thing on that too yeah (laughs) final thing on that too is i do feel that like uh for example net listing type builds and stuff while they can buff you um higher than what your floor would have been based on time spent and training and you know your familiarity with the game your actual skill level i do think that there are uh, um, opportunities for somebody of a higher skill 
than the person running just a net list for the because of it because they think it'll you know win to do okay because we, you get to a point where you instantly see somebody made a mistake at least it was that way last edition and mm -hmm. that was enough to win a lot of times like even against these you know stompy lists um, it was like oh he blundered here and it might not have even been obvious anything like that but it's like it gave you that little bit and mm -hmm. so don't worry about <laughs> all of this stuff like if you're a good player if you put in the time you will be able to beat the gatekeepers usually you know um it, it's and not then speaking of which win. yeah kind of kind of kind of going back to that gatekeeper kind of addressing your first question there um harleys harleys, harleys yeah 100 um harleys are really strong on this as well just because of all of that heavy terrain um i i played one game with my Ardley Quinns, um, and I nearly tabled the um, vet guard player by the end of turning point two. Um, they're they're very powerful with their um, domino field, domino field, domino field. Um, very powerful with that. And then against more elite armies, they can pick and choose their fights with their murderous entrance and their um, feigned retreat, whatever it's called. And then and then. I think we should do a whole segment on just please talk about your GD tack ops when you talk about factions. Um, it's something that <laughs> I'm going to die on this hill. It's like factions are not just the factions that are also their tack ops. And it's so important, especially when you look at Harleys, because they can take infiltration. And that's what also makes them so, so strong because they have all the tools to score on pretty much any of those, especially because they're three APL. Um, they're terrifying. Yeah, yeah. So true. Yes. So I think they're up there. I think they scare me more than custodies did. Um, and custodies, I think they're still pretty, pretty darn powerful now. Even after getting taken down to um, to three uh, APL and the the nerf to demigod, they're still pretty powerful. Um, I, I think they're definitely a gatekeeper thing that you have to have a, a gatekeeper team to have an answer to. Yeah, Harlequins though, man. I, I like, think we might be seeing. Oops, sorry. I was just gonna say their ability I was just to. Saying fly charge shoot after they fight like it's just they do so much with so little but go for it buddy mm -hmm. sorry it's so true oh i was just gonna say i think we might be seeing some vet guard they're sort of the poster boys for this edition mm -hmm. and they just came out in the new box you know they've got a lot of tactics that you know a lot of cool tricks the that can um i think they you know they would do good against like the new pathfinders and stuff like that so i think they're uh they're one to look out for for sure they have a lot of answers for Pathfinders. Yeah, a lot of answers for Pathies. Spotter, so strong. Um, yeah. Bodies, so strong. They, they can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with that 12 activation list um, and match them in activations. That's a big deal. Yeah, I think they actually have one more if you brought the drill. That's uh, true. Or maybe even two more. I can't remember. But yeah, they, they seem... Or you can good. just take them all with GA2 and, and be crazy like me. <laughs> um, one of the things, Sheldon, I mean, that would add to the conversation, if we're talking about like what's going to be there and stuff like that. You were saying some of the players that were going to be at, um, maybe it wasn't LVO, maybe it was KTO, but it was just like, oh my God. Like, I, I think it was LVO. LVO, yeah. I mean, Fernando Ace uh, from the Spain uh, uh, scene, he's coming over. He's like number um, one. Know, Ryan Wilfong. Yeah, he's number one in ITC, so I think he's legally obligated to be there. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah Ryan Wilfong will be there. You guys will both be there. Um, 
uh, Alex LDM? is probably she was never. There? <laughs> Alex gonna be there. He's uh, I don't think he's ever missed an event I've ran. Uh, uh, Janice, uh, Matt Hall, Hal. Um, uh, you know, uh, I think Shane and Ryan are gonna be there. Not entirely sure, um, but I think they said they were coming. And uh, Luke, uh, who we were talking about earlier, he'll he'll be there. Um, you know, we've got. It's a pool full of roster. sharks. My God. Yeah. It, this is scary. And, nuts. and so many more players who we have no idea who's going to run up, run and rise to the top, right? Like, we, we, yeah. we all have to remember that. Like, I was no one before I showed up to SEO 2019, and all of a sudden people knew my name because I took that tournament, right? And any single person that shows up to this tournament just because of all these names that were rattled off these are all fantastic players right um anyone that shows up can be equally that fantastic too and that's what's always exciting that's that excites me more about these bigger tournaments it's like oh my goodness who am i going to go up against well, i had no idea they're just <laughs> going to be so terrifying yeah and this has happened so, so many times that it's like mm-hmm. somebody shows up we don't know who they are and then they become a perennial um yep. this has happened on tts and irl so, mm-hmm. you know, Micromancer is a great yeah. example. Just oh, like yeah. Rode yeah, in from absolutely. the sunset is like, now I'm the best player <laughs> that's here. Uh, just suddenly. I remember when uh, Nova Open happened and the last Nova Open and everyone was going, who's this Eldar player? And then it was oh, like, Janice. Oh, Janice. And now right? she's like, yeah. everybody knows. Everybody yeah, knows we were Janice going now. crazy in the streams. We're like, what <laughs> is going on? She's <laughs> murdering these pods. Jeez. <laughs> yeah crazy days all right well we hope you enjoyed this episode thank you so much for joining us today remember that there's going to be new episodes every week this exciting new podcast i've been beerinid you can find me on youtube beerinid 40k i've been emmanuel you can find uh find me as well as my buddy alex on youtube at strategic advantage as well as uh you can follow my instagram uh eman.paints to see more of my little grot and uh i'm um sheldon and uh yeah what he said but with my stuff Kill, kill team stream <laughs> thanks for listening to the kill zone podcast your home for real talk for competitive kill team brought to you by the frontline gaming network make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode